We are live from the great state of Tennessee. I'm your host, Patrick Simpson, and this is Paranoid, the podcast where we break down conspiracy theories and unsolved mysteries and separate fact from fiction. I don't think I said it last week. Um, Maybe I did. I honestly don't remember. But last Monday was exactly one year since my first episode. It was a huge milestone. That was honestly the fastest year of all time. But now we are officially now into year two of this podcast. A lot of you I know have listened since day one. Some kind of jump in and out between episodes, which is fine. Some, this may actually be your first episode. Who knows? Um, welcome if it is you. But like I said, I am happy. Like I said, I expected it to, to make it make it a year. I don't know how many listeners I thought I would have. But like I said, I, my, I, that was my hope. I don't know how long I'll do this. I don't know if I'll go off to something different. But I really wanted to do a full year. So now we've done that. Maybe we'll switch some things up, try something new. I'm not sure. But for any of you, like I said, that have listened, if it's your first time, welcome. But if you've listened to an episode or listened to all of them, I really appreciate you. I never really imagined there would have been people listening to my podcast for an entire year, but we did it. We're here. So now let's go ahead and make year two even better. So when you hear someone talk about 9-11, obviously you think about the devastation and the death and everything that happened. But when we're talking about a conspiracy theory podcast, if I say I'm going to talk about 9-11, I'm pretty sure 99% of you are going to say, oh, you're going to talk about how it was an inside job or about the steel beams don't melt from jet fuel and how the buildings fell, didn't fall down. They collapsed as like they were being exploded, all that good stuff. And I'm sure we will eventually do an episode on that because like I said, that is probably the number one, I would say it is the number one conspiracy theory of our lifetime, but that is not what we are talking about today. Yes, we are talking about 9-11, but we are not talking about anything that has to do, or we're not talking specifically about that day. We're going to go all the way back to 1988, and we're going to go all the way up to September 10th, because that is really the key, in my opinion. That is the key to everything that happened with 9-11. Whether you want to argue it was an inside job and the government was a part of it, like I said, that is another episode that we will do. But today, we're going to talk about the process that led to this happening. And we have to ask yourself, which you have to ask yourself in any kind of casualty situation, especially mass casualty situation, was this preventable? And it's easy, obviously, from the outside looking in. They'd be like, yes, you should have did this. You should have did that. But you don't necessarily know that all the information. You don't know the backstory most of the time. So like I said, it's easy, hindsight 2020, to say, yes, we should have avoided this. But today we're going to dig in. We're going to talk. We're going to look at the actual facts of things that actually happened. Like I said, not conspiracy things that actually happened. Like I said, all the way up to September 10th. And you can make your own decision. I mean, to me, it is pretty clear, but you can make your own decision on if this tragedy was actually avoidable. This is the story of the path to 9-11. To an eerie recording hidden away for more than a decade of former President Bill Clinton just hours before the 9-11 attacks, telling a group of Australian businessmen why he did not order a strike against Osama bin Laden. Here it is. And I'm just saying, you know, if I were Osama bin Laden, he's a very smart guy. I spent a lot of time thinking about him. And I nearly got him once. <laughs> I nearly got him. 
And I could have gotten, I, I could have killed him, but I would have had to destroy a little town called Kandahar in Afghanistan and kill 300 innocent women and children. And then I would have been no better than him. And so I didn't do it. So if you somehow don't know what 9-11 is or you live, like I said, I actually do have listeners in other countries, but I would still hope you know what 9-11 is. If for some extraordinary reason you don't know, I'm not doing a, there's so much information. I don't have time to do a background on it. Um, and I wouldn't be doing it's due diligence um, talking about that specific day. So like I said, we're talking about September 11th, 2001. Um, in the United States of America, except for those of you that may be international listeners, you, you can Google it, look it up if you somehow actually don't know, um, may have never heard of it. But for my American people, I do know you know what this is. So we're not going to spend much time with the background on this. So like I said, with anything in life, especially here in America, you deal with a lot of mass shootings or just school shootings, any of these things, these types and then after the shooting happens, you look and you're like, well, this guy has putting weird comments on YouTube or he was expelled from school from, for bullying or having a gun at school. Like there's usually always signs and not just with shooting type situations. Most significant crimes usually have something that leads up to it. It's rarely just a person or a group that was just off the grid not doing anything at all, and then they just woke up that day and decided to do something. And obviously something of this sort. We're talking about the United States of America, the big bad people, not big bad, but they basically supposed to be the most powerful country in the world, the country that everybody supposedly looks up to. The stuff like this is not supposed to happen here. It happens everywhere else, but it's not supposed to happen here. So in order to pull off something of this magnitude, it wasn't just a wake up or even a one month type thing. And at least that's what people think. And as we go through this episode today, I'm assuming you will also agree if you don't believe that. So like I said, there's a lot of information to process and I can't even really cover everything. I can honestly do a week long episode just about this. So I'm gonna try to summarize it and get the main points as much as I can. So, it starts in 1988. Osama bin Laden, he founds Al-Qaeda, which stands for the base, but he founds Al-Qaeda in 1988, which is a militant group. And basically their goal is just global chaos, basically. I mean, there's really no other explanation. They just want global chaos. They want countries to pay like for no reason. They don't want money. They don't want power, really. They just want chaos. And they said he started this in 1988. Now, like I said, he wasn't like, at least in America's eyes, Osama bin Laden comes into the picture after 9-11. But like I said, if we do more research, you dig into this, you realize this guy has been around way before 9-11 has happened and not just overseas. He's dealt with actual America type situations. So like I said, there's going to be a lot of names and the names aren't really that um, important. It's not names that you need to remember. 
and most of them I can't pronounce, so um, I may not say all the names. But we start at January 6th of 1995. Um, we have a terrorist by the name of Abdul Hakim Murad, and he is arrested in the capital of the Philippines. So basically, he gets arrested and he starts talking for whatever reason. He starts talking. He details a plan to blow up U.S. airliners over the Pacific Ocean and to crash a plane packed with explosives into either the CIA headquarters or some other nearby U.S. federal building. Nothing else comes of that, but I'm sure they send that over to the CIA and they keep that in their notes. So from what we know, it's kind of quiet after that until August 7th of 1998. This is the first major big Al-Qaeda moment, at least that we know, know of for sure. So we have a bomb explosion at the U.S. Embassy in Kenya and in Tanzania. Sorry, Jesus. 224 people died. Um, so we have not just random buildings. The actual U.S. embassies with Americans there in these two countries happen on the same exact day simultaneously. 224 people are killed, and Al-Qaeda immediately claims responsibility. So like I said, they've probably done so. I don't know if this was the first one, but this is the first one that the United States are looking. So like I said, we know for a fact that this happened. We know Al-Qaeda claimed responsibility. So the name Al-Qaeda, terrorists, bombings, this is 1998. We at least know in 1998 they are at least aware that this group exists. Then in October 8th, of 1998, the FAA warns airlines and airports to maintain, quote, a high degree of alertness. And basically, this warning was in response to some comments that were made by Osama bin Laden, basically in the aftermath of those bombings that we just talked about. Um, and basically, he was just saying something was going to happen. Like I said, we go back to a little bit, I guess, November 1998, U.S. intelligence, basically, they collect information that shows that bin Laden wants to coordinate an attack inside the United States. But like I said, I'm assuming this is still in the early stages. So the threats are vague. There's no details about where or when, um, but they have intel that they believe is legitimate in 1998 stating that bin Laden is working to coordinate an attack inside the United States. Then in 1999, um, the French intelligence puts a terrorist, a man by the name of Zacharias Musala on a watch list of suspected terrorists. Now we kind of have to DV off for a second because this name is actually an important name. I probably butchered his name, but who cares? He's a piece of garbage. But I say Zacharias Musala. So basically he starts... In 1996, the French authorities start monitoring him when they notice him with some Islamic extremists. Then I said, like, in 1999, he gets put on the actual watch list. September of 2000, he visits Malaya, Malaysia and stays in the same condo where two other 9-11 hijackers stayed. We don't know they're 9-11 hijackers at this time, but now that we look back, he was hanging out with September 11th hijackers in 2000. Then this is the big one. From February to May, 
Musau is now in America, and he trains at the Airman Flight School in Norman, Oklahoma. He takes more than 50 hours of flying lessons, but he leaves without a pilot license. Not sure why, but he said he did tons of hours, but didn't leave with his license. Then August 1st of 2001, he allegedly wires $14,000 to a name I'm not going to say. I can't pronounce that at all. But he is also in um, an alleged Al-Qaeda person also. Um, and this wire money was wired from Dusseldorf to Hamburg, Germany. So it wasn't wired here in America. So now he's here back in America in August 16th of 2001. And he is arrested on immigration issues. So he's in Minnesota. And the FBI is alerted because he went to say went back to flight school. He went to Pan Am International Flight Academy. They consider him suspicious because he had no prior aviation experience, paid for all his classes in cash, and only wanted to learn how to take off and land the plane. Didn't really care how to navigate or any of that. He just wanted to learn how to take off and land the plane. So thankfully, these people. At the academy, did their did their due diligence and called the FBI and was like, "This is super creepy. We've never seen anything like like this before, and you need to come get this guy." So, like I said, he's arrested on immigration issues. But like I said, we're kind of going, we're going to move back and forth between time, but we're just going to cover this guy all at one time. So, right after he gets arrested, the FBI is refused permission by. Washington to obtain a search warrant for his computer. And so we'll talk about why these search warrants were denied, but you just know there actually was a warrant out there to search his computer. And if they would have actually searched his computer, they would have found that a lot of information. Um, like I said, I guess I should say this, but this guy was actually one of the big workers, conspirators, whatever you want to call it. One of the big planners for 9-11. Now, like I said, if they had actually looked it up, look, if they would actually obtain that search warrant for the laptop, there were, um, he had, um, the air, their name of the airplanes are called Boeing 747. So he had flight manuals for those type things, two knives, aviation radio, um, some German telephone numbers, just a bunch of like crazy stuff and information and names that would have basically put this whole 9-11 operation, not that it necessarily maybe would have stopped it, but it would have like, there was information on there with dates, plans, times. This was August of 2001. They have a search warrant and Washington denies the search warrant. Like I said, we'll get more into why it was denied. But like I said, all the way back to 1999, the country of France has him on the watch list, but nobody ever actually takes care of this guy like they should. So then we jump to September of 1999. So we'll jump back and forth a little bit. But we jump back to September of 1999, and basically the government, the FBI, does a federal study of terrorism. And according to this study, we said from the FBI, the CIA, Basically, they say Al-Qaeda, quote, poses the most serious terrorist threat to U.S. security interests. Also, 
The study warns that Al-Qaeda, quote, could crash land an aircraft packed with high explosives into the Pentagon, the CIA headquarters, or the White House. This is an actual study that our country put together in September of 1999 stating that Al-Qaeda could possibly hijack a plane into the Pentagon. September of 1999. Just think about that. Keep that in mind. December of 1999, the CIA intercepts a phone conversation between Al-Qaeda, basically stating that there was going to be a summit for Al-Qaeda coming up in Malaysia. Um, why they didn't go bust that, who knows, but they get intel that basically Al-Qaeda is now starting to have bigger group meetings together. December 14th, 1999, Ahmad Rassam is stopped trying to enter the USA from Canada. In his car, investigators find 130 pounds of bomb-making materials, and it is eventually discovered, I guess through interrogation, that this guy actually planned to blow up LA International Airport. Is this connected? I don't know, but this was the first, like I said, there's lots of things going on, but this is the first one. Okay, this guy was actually planning on blowing up like the second biggest airport in America. Um, maybe our intel actually is right, you would think, but we'll see as we keep going on. So now into the new century, the CIA in January of 2000, the CIA obtains intelligence, intelligence basically about another meeting of Al Qaeda in um, Afghanistan. So like I said, they're getting all these meetings, but they're just not able to act, which we will discuss why here in a second. So now we are said good way into the year 2000. And this is, I think, one of the more significant moments. Not that anything that happened prior to this wasn't significant. The obviously the bombing of the U.S. embassies was the first real strike. But this is where things really start to get interesting. October 12th of 2000, we have a U.S. Navy destroyer um, called the USS Cole. And basically, they were on the Arabian Peninsula, basically, and they stopped in Yemen to refuel on their way to join the other U.S. Navy ships that were basically enforcing a trade san sanction against Iraq. Not anything crazy, not anything like that should involve any kind of deaths. But they're kind of just, like I said, they're just on a little pit stop on their way to do their routine routine Navy stuff. And they were scheduled to remain at the port for only four hours, which makes us think that these terrorists that end up attacking this ship had pretty precise information. This wasn't like, one, it wasn't an announced thing. They kind of just stopped. That, you know, you don't know where you're going to stop on a road trip. You kind of just stop. It wasn't announced pre-announced that they were going to stop in Yemen. And they were only there for four hours, but yet these terrorists were sitting there ready and prepared to go, which is a interesting thing in itself. But we're not going to talk about that because um, like that's another different story. So basically, um, a small little ship of terrorists comes up and said, because nobody is really expecting anything. It's just a routine stop. And these terrorists pull up literally unopposed because nobody's looking out for them. They're in a small little ship. They pull up to the USS Cole and they basically use their, I don't know exactly what they use, but basically they caused a massive explosion that ripped through 
the USS Cole's side, which badly damaged the engine room and basically destroyed the mess hall and the living quarters. Thankfully, the crew was able to stop the flooding and keep the coal, the USS Cole afloat. So it didn't completely sink. They were able to patch it up and get it together. But it wasn't fast enough, obviously. 17 sailors were killed and 38 were wounded in the attack. And like I said, there's 17 soldiers, 17 sons, 17 daughters that didn't get to go home. And it's just completely, obviously all terrorist attacks are pointless, but this one was like completely pointless. They weren't even really in a war type situation. No one was expecting to be hit or anything of that type. And that ends up happening. So now, like I said, the, USS, the U.S. Embassy, there were Americans that were killed. But now that we are talking about actual U.S. soldiers, 17 U.S. soldiers that are killed basically overseas, um, this is where I think things really picked. They probably did pick up, but at least they didn't pick up good enough. And al-Qaeda claims responsibility for this. Who's led by al-Qaeda? Osama bin Laden. So, like I said, now here we are, October 12th. So we are now basically 11 months away from 9-11. And we have this situation. And this right here should have been the moment, you would think, that you retaliate. Like, the embassy is probably should have retaliated. But now we have actual U.S. soldiers that have died from this group. Now is the time to retaliate, but we're not there yet. So we're just going to keep on going. So now we are here into the year 2001. Uh, basically all of the 2001, starting in January, the FAA is sending out like these little generalized, not saying significant, but just these little generalized warnings, warnings about, hey, you know, there's threat of terrorism, be on the lookout. Then July 10th of 2001, FBI Kenneth Williams writes a memo about Middle Eastern men training at a Phoenix area flight school, speculating that they could be connected to Al-Qaeda. CIA Director George Tenet briefs officials and National Security Advisor Condoleezza Rice about the Al-Qaeda threat. And now here we will dive off basically into our now new president. He just became president in January of 2001. So he jumped straight into this. So now we talk specifically about President George W. Bush. Now, like I said, we're already in 2001, so we're just going to keep going. Yeah, but we're now we're going to talk about specifically what he was told in the year 2001. And like I said, this is the big thing, and this is the big issue in how we really got caught with our pants down, basically. So May 1st, 2001, the CIA informs the White House that, quote, a direct quote, a group presently in the United States was in the process of planning a terrorist attack. June 29th, 2001, the president's daily brief that day states that basically um, that the CIA is basically reiterating that the, the attacks that have been going on overseas were anticipated to be near term and have dramatic consequences. 
um, like I said, there was a tax coming and basically um, they had also shown him a document that was basically said it was an inter- a document about an interview with a Middle Eastern journalist in which bin Laden supporters warned of a coming attack, as well as pressures that the terrorist leader was feeling. Like I said, so basically, not to just keep rambling on it. So basically, June 29th, he gets this memo basically stating that basically bin Laden is being pressured by those people, basically other terrorist leaders. Hey, you know, we've been doing some small stuff, but it's time for the big one. And a Middle Eastern journalist was the one that wrote this. CIA gets ahead of it, and it is sent in the president's briefing on June 29th. Now, what we just we just talked about this 10 seconds ago, but July 10th of 2001, George Tenet, the CIA director, meets with Condoleezza Rice to inform her about communications that have been intercepted and other top secret intelligence that is showing that there is an increase, increasing likelihood that al-Qaeda would soon attack the United States. Condoleezza Rice she listened, but was not convinced having other priorities of which to focus. Secretary of Defense Donald Rumsfeld questioned the information, basically saying that we're basically being trolled, basically. He was like, we're basically being deceived and all this stuff. So basically, our George Tenet, CIA director, is 100%. We have got to absolutely act now. And as head of CIA, he did his job. He did his part, but he still doesn't have actually that much power to just do whatever he wants. There's still checks and balances. There's still rules. You just can't go around doing whatever you want as a CIA director. So his hands are pretty much tied because nobody higher up than him is listening. Like I said, they tried and they did everything that they could on their end to get this thing going. So like I said, in 2001, um, the chief of CIA's counterterrorism center, Kofor Black, he says, direct quote, it was very evident that we were going to get struck. We were going to get struck hard and lots of Americans were going to die. There were real there are real plots being manifested. And like I said, George Tenet is um, joining in also saying that basically the world felt like it was on the edge of eruption. June and July, the threats were continuing to rise. Terrorists were disappearing as if like they're hiding in preparation for something. Their camps, all the camps that they had were closing, like everything on his end through all his years of experience is showing, hey, these people are falling off the map. Something big is about to come. Please, somebody help, wake up, help us. And them two had a plan. In the spring of 2001, they had a plan called, quote, the Blue Sky Paper, and they pitched this plan this to Bush's new, like I said, they literally just got here, new natural, na- national security team. So basically they wanted a covert CIA and military mission to end the al-Qaeda threat, basically getting into the Afghan sanctuary, launching an operation, and basically taking out al-Qaeda now before that, before they can do anything. Like they had a full plan, who to have, where to go, because like we've been intercepting their calls, their transmissions. We, we know where they're having meetings. We know where they're at. I got a team. Let's CIA, FBI, military. Let's all come together, attack, and let's get this thing taken care of now. But like I said, Condoleezza Rice, the president, 
everybody else that are higher up that have the authority to say, hey, go do this are not in favor of it because like I said, they just, I mean, I don't know. They, we, we, we are told because they just didn't take the threat seriously. They needed more evidence. They just didn't want to go in and start a new war. I mean, we, I mean, we don't know. We're not in their brains. They're the only ones. You, I mean, maybe we can ask them one day, hey, Condoleezza Rice, can you come on the podcast? Well, from what we know, they just didn't believe this intelligence. They didn't think the intelligence was good enough. So they turned down this mission. Like I said, this was spring of 2001 that they were now, who's to say that mission would have actually stopped 9-11? Like I said, I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty. We can say that it would have, but we honestly don't know that it would have. But it could have done something, seeing that we literally did nothing. But like I said, hindsight is twenty twenty, so who knows? Now, August twenty third of two thousand one, said they're still trying. They're still trying. They're not just giving up. They've been trying this whole time. The CIA sends an urgent message to the FBI, the State Department, Customs, alerting them about individuals that they have now linked to bin Laden. Hey, FBI, customs, the airport, everybody. Hey, these are a group of people that we think are linked to bin Laden. If you see these people, you need to capture them now. So this is August. Um, And like I said, they know things are starting to pick up very, very fast. Now, here we are. This This is probably the most devastating part of all this. It's all devastating, but this one's probably the most devastating of them all. So basically, Bush's national security advisors approved a draft of a plan to combat Al-Qaeda. Like, finally, CIA is like, hey, we got to get this together. Time is running out. We got to get this. So his national security team and I guess along with him, I'm not sure, but they come up with a version to fight Al-Qaeda. And basically, but it was, that has nothing to do with our military, basically. Um, it's basically a $200 million plan to arm the enemies of the Taliban, basically. So we're not really sending our military out there, but basically we're $200 million to go arm people that can go take out take them out for us. This is on September 4th of 2001. Now the advisors, their plan is to present this draft to President Bush on September 10th. However, the president is traveling on September 10th and is not there for them for them to present it to him. So in their minds, they're like, okay, well, we'll wait until he gets back. Uh, but this was September 10th. And not probably not more than 12 hours later, the next morning on September 11th, here we are. Now, at this point, they're in literally the midnight hour. If he actually sees his plan and signs off on it, is it stopping 9-11? Probably not. But still crazy to think that there is finally, after all the screaming and preventing and yelling that the CIA has been doing, we finally start at least getting in motion a plan to fight this and they come basically a couple of days short um long story short and like i said from there the rest is history i mean 
It's a lot of information. There's a whole lot of information, a lot of dates, a lot of names, and a lot of numbers. I know this is probably a very overwhelming episode. It's like just literally just tons of information. But that's where we are. Like I said, we started all the way back in 1988, and we got all the way up until September 10th. And it took them till September 10th to finally accept that what the CIA is saying is true and we need to combat it. So, like I said, I know hindsight's 2020, but people that are in these positions should be held accountable because that's literally their job is to protect us. And they failed. And there's tons. I mean, do you place the blame on President Bush, Condoleezza Rice, Dick Cheney? I mean, they everybody basically, it's not just one specific person. Yes, the president, I guess, ultimately has to say so. But there's a lot of blame to go around everywhere. But I guess eventually it does go to the top. And the big thing um, that basically that happened here is, like I said, we got caught with our pants down, basically, because they caught us basically in a transition year. So the election, obviously, was in 2000 when President Bush won, but he didn't become president until January of 2001. So there's all this turnover. Like the CIA direct, like, I think the CIA director was the same, and I may have been appointed by Bush, but just about every major kind of counterintelligence team, any kind of these like advisors, they're all completely new people. So what happened in 2000 when the USS Cole is attacked, those people that have intel, they have the intel, but they pass them on, pass it on to Bush's new team, and it just either gets thrown into a drawer or gets thrown on the desk because I mean they I mean they're just now getting into office. There's so much they got to catch up on. Like in our minds, we're like, okay, well, this information I'm telling you about Al Qaeda is important, but you got to think how many other things are going on in the world. It's probably like a hundred other Al Qaeda's that are just like smaller and not threats. So in their minds, we're like, oh, we've seen this before. There's other terrorist groups. It's not that big of a deal. So it's hard maybe for them to separate Al Qaeda from the other ones. So possibly, like I said, possibly if it's the same group from 2000 and 2001, maybe we take it more seriously because they actually know the information a little bit better. It's, I don't know. Like I said, I'm kind of just guessing, but I really think, like I said, they have been, this stuff had been going on all the way, started in 1995 and Bill Clinton became president in 1993. So they start doing their stuff in 1995, and then Bill Clinton is no longer president in 2001. So they have been doing all this stuff, but they hadn't been able to get the big one until the new regime regime started here in America. I'm not saying that this regime is worse. It could have been, I mean, maybe it would have been a little bit easier if Al Gore was elected because he would have kept some of the same people. I don't know, but it's not necessarily blaming anyone Really, it's just more the fact they were waiting almost like they were waiting for an election, they were waiting for a transition. And like I said, once they realized, okay, this new people they're not really taking us seriously, this might actually be our time to attack. Like I said, I really think they just caught us in an election year with a lot of transition, a lot of people in new places. But regardless of if that actually is true, that is still no excuse. Your only job as 
or whoever, in counterintelligence, the president, Condoleezza Rice, that your only job, not your only job, but your main job, your biggest job, your most important job is keeping America safe. And they failed miserably. And like I said, the whole inside job thing, it does kind of connect to this, but and that's but that's a topic for another day. Um, because that is obviously a huge conspiracy theory. But everything I told you is a fact. Like I just gave you a bunch of facts, a bunch of dates, a bunch of names, stuff that actually happened. You can go look it up. There's documentation, there's video, there's court records, there's police records. Everything I told you actually did happen. We're not even talking about conspiracy. Telling you everything that happened. Like I said, now it is up to you after listening to decide was 9-11 avoidable? And I think the easy answer is yes. Now, it would be different if the CIA also did not believe that they were a threat. And we just completely got caught like nobody even knew it was coming. But if you appoint someone as a CIA director and keep them appointed, you should trust them enough to believe them when they're talking. Hey, we have actual evidence that they are working on hijacking planes. They have people going to flight schools here in America that are they're going basically in like May, they're going to flight school in Oklahoma. And then in like July, they're going back to Yemen or going back to Saudi Arabia and attending Al Qaeda seminars. Like we have actual evidence of this. Here it is. And yet still we did nothing. So like I said, I don't tell you what to think. I don't tell you what to believe. I give you information and you come to your own conclusion. Maybe in your mind, it wasn't avoidable. It was just one of those things like, yeah, hindsight's twenty twenty, but you can't really blame them for not taking it seriously because they hadn't really done much. I mean, maybe you do believe that and I'm not going to judge you, but it's, at the same time, it's kind of hard to listen to everything that we've discussed and think that this actually was just destined to happen. I do think that it was avoidable. Um, I said whether it was we avoided it on purpose. I want to say no. I mean, I really want to say no. I just can't say that those people in the high ups avoided this. I really do think that they've heard about it was basically a boy that cried wolf back in, I don't know, 19. We've done with different things with Kosovo and we had all these different things that we handled easily. And I honestly believe they just basically didn't take okay to seriously. I think it's that easy. Now, if you do believe it was purposely missed over, I mean, it is, I can't say you're wrong because it's just such a blind neglect that it's almost makes me believe that. But in my mind, I kind of see it kind of like a sports, most of your sports people, 16 C plays a one seed or 15 plays a two, or just some big upset happens that the big dog basically kind of overlooks them and gets caught that one day. I think that's basically what happened. Like, it had never happened before. Like we've had like the Oklahoma bombings and we have Pearl Harbor. Like we've had small stuff, but people just at the time until that happened, just did not believe that we could actually get attacked in the manner that we did. I just think we were just big headed. I mean, cocky, big headed. I mean, I just think it's that simple. We thought, okay, we're America. Nobody's actually brave enough to do something of that magnitude here. Like, yeah, they've done their different things where they've, you know, killed 10 people at a building or something. But I just don't think they actually physically, mentally comprehended that they could actually pull this off. 
And unfortunately, they were wrong. Like I said, they're they're putting these positions to not be wrong. But we're here. I mean, this it's now been 20 years, which is just crazy. But it's been 20 years. So like I said, we've had plenty of time to reflect and do research. But that is my own personal conclusion that this was 100% avoidable. And like I said, it's unfortunate. Um, I was still like I remember 9-11 like it was yesterday. I was I was old enough, obviously, to I was in school, but I was old enough to remember everything that was going on. But for someone that actually had a family member lost on there, I mean, I don't know how you would feel if you've listened to this episode or listened to similar episodes, knowing what has happened. I mean, it would be hard not to be angry knowing that you lost a family member, you lost a husband, a wife, a son, a daughter for something that was actually avoidable. I mean, that would be hard. It'd be a hard pill to swallow. But like I said, here we are now. All we can do is hopefully learn from it and just pray that nothing like that ever happens again. But from now on, like I said now, when you think about 9-11 now, just look at it at a different light. That's basically the whole point of this episode. Like everybody talks about that actual day, the inside job part. And like I said, that is a discussion that needs to be had just because it is an interesting discussion. But the more important thing, I think, is to think about what everything that happened leading up to it. I think that will give you a different understanding. And that's what I'm hoping you get from today. And so you don't even need to have your opinion changed, but at least you learned what all happened prior to this. And you can apply this to anything in life. Don't take anything for granted in life, even tomorrow. Don't take tomorrow for granted, but just things in general. Like, don't underestimate someone. Don't underestimate odds of something happening. Always be alert. Always think and prepare for the worst. Because if you don't, you just never know what day you're going to get caught. That is all I got for today. Really hope you learned something new from this episode. Maybe change your perspective on a couple of things. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at underscore Patrick Simpson. YouTube, I've been slacking. Yes, I know. I've been slacking on YouTube. Hope to get that back up this week. Um, it's just, just been a little hard process, a lot going on. But as always, like I said, Twitter is my main source of social media. So feel free to hit me up on there with any, basically your opinions of any future episodes or what you thought about this episode or something new that I didn't cover, something interesting I didn't cover. Y'all do a really good job of that. If I miss some information, always hitting me up because I love to learn things from you also. If you haven't subscribed, go ahead and press that subscribe button real quick. If you're on Apple, iTunes, I think maybe Spotify does reviews. I don't know, but I think they just started doing that. But if you can leave a review, haven't done that yet, just take a quick second to leave an honest review. We really appreciate it. And as always, appreciate the support. And we'll be back next Monday with a very new episode. My name is Patrick Simpson, and this is Paranormal.